0: This is Odds On with Mike Palm and Amal Shaw, live from the Circus Sportsbook on VSIN, the Sports Betting Network.
3: Welcome into Odds On. This is Mike Palm along with Amal Shaw here on VCN the Sports Betting Network. We're coming to you from downtown Las Vegas, the Circus Sports Studio. And do we have a loaded show for you today? In 30 minutes, we're gonna have friend of the show, Brian McFadden on VMAX, gonna talk a little wild card weekend with us, two-time Super Bowl champion, former NFL. DB, but first it's our pleasure to have Jermaine Wiggins played nearly a decade in the NFL as a tight end, joined the program at this time for the very first time. We say good morning to you, Jermaine. How are you? Good
4: morning. How's it going? Uh, good afternoon. I guess, you know, here on the East Coast.
3: <laughs> good, af- good afternoon to you. Good morning to us. Jermaine, you were there for Tom Brady's first Super Bowl victory with the Patriots over the Rams. How much similarity do you see between this team with Mac Jones in his rookie season as you did with your squad that won the Super Bowl?
4: I think the similarity is, is more about the style of team we had. You know, back in 01, we were a defensive football team. First, we ran the football, and then Brady in the passing game was kind of something that we, you know, it wasn't like we led with that, but that's when we had certain situations. You know, that's when we kind of threw the football and I see a lot of similarities in this football team. You know, in my opinion, they're a defensive-first football team. They want to run the football, and then when they have to throw it, they try to throw. You know, whether it's short, intermediate, and try to be efficient with what they, how they throw the football. So I would say those are the similarities that I would just say is more about the system and the way the offense uh, is built.
3: Specifically about uh, the wild card matchup between the Bills and the Patriots, we saw two very different games. The first game on Monday night in Orchard Park was in that swirling wind. The Patriots only threw two passes in winning that game. The rematch in Foxborough, much more aggressive on both sides of the ball. Both coaches, they went for a combined fourth down ten times. There were no punts in that game. A high-scoring game. Bills are laying four with a total of 44. Do you think this game plays more like that Monday night game in the wind, a low-scoring defensive game, or more like the game in Foxborough, which was more of a shootout?
4: I would say I would say similar to the game in Buffalo, except I think the Patriots throw the football a little bit more. The reason why I say that because it's supposed to be extremely cold uh, um, in Buffalo Saturday night. The wind's not going to be crazy, but the cold's definitely going to affect the game a little bit. Just that cold weather will do that. You know, hotter football, hotter to throw, hotter to catch. So I could see you know I could see the score being a little bit more you know, 24, 21, 23, 20 type of football game, uh, similar to kind of the second game that they played in New England for most of the game. And then I think Buffalo kind of, you know, ran away with it a little bit at the end of the game. So I can see it being played out in one of those games where the Patriots are going to want to run the football and Buffalo, they're going to probably want to throw. And and with the weather being cold, I think they're going to have to pick their spots on where they throw the football.
2: Jermaine, uh, when you have familiarity with the division opponent you're facing off for a third time, is it easier in your preparation during the wild card week, or is it more difficult because maybe you're trying to create a new wrinkle in there? I I would just assume from the outside looking in that it might be a little bit easier because you've already prepared for them twice in the last seven weeks.
4: Well, you know what? That's a great question. We we talk to you know we interview Bill Belichick every Monday on the Great Hill Show, and we interview Devin McCourty. And uh, the one thing that both of them said is that the familiarity they know you, but you know them. It's more about, you know, the personnel, you know, the players, you know, what they do well, you know, the speed of the players we were talking to Devin McCourty today. And, you know, I asked him that very, that, that same question. And he says, you know, when you know a team, you know, the players, you can, you know what the speed of that player is on the football field. If you haven't played against a guy, sometimes, it might take you a minute to adjust to the speed of certain players that you haven't seen before. So I think the familiarity helps a lot, uh, but it also, you know, they know you just as well. And it's more about the personnel bill Belichick and he's talked about that to us before. It's more about them knowing the personnel because um, they know the scheme that just like Buffalo knows the scheme, but it's more about the personnel. You have a good idea what a guy does. Well, what a guy doesn't do well, and I think that's where the familiarity kind of gives you the advantage. But it also goes against you because they know you the same way.
2: Final question, kind of following up on that in terms of the prep during the week. What is the atmosphere like in the facility? I have to assume, you know, the jokes that you might be having in week 16 or 17, all that changes. It becomes a very serious tenor once you get into this situation because everything you have worked for in the off season, getting into August training camp and then going through all of that comes down to 60 minutes in Orchard Park.
4: Yeah. I, I, you, you, you try to stay as close to normal as possible, but you understand what the, what's on the line, you know, you understand what you're playing for, but you don't want to be, you know, we, we talk about this all the time as former players, you know, you hear any former player talk about it. You don't want to be a coach or a team where all of a sudden the lights get bright and it's playoff time. And now all of a sudden you get nervous and you get tight. You don't want to be that way. You want to try to keep it as close to as far as the way you prepare the way you go about your business, how you approach the game as as close to a regular scene, a regular season game as possible. You know, you don't want to all of a sudden change because you know that now all of a sudden you're thinking about everything, you are nervous, and that's what can really affect you um, as a player in the game. If you make a mistake and now you're dwelling on it and you, you know, you're still thinking about a two and three plays later. So you have to, and it's a very difficult thing to do. You have to try to, be as close to normal as a regular season as possible, but you do understand what is at stake, and you do understand what the outcome of the game means, win or lose.
3: We're talking with Jermaine Wiggins, played 10 years in the NFL as a tight end, won a Super Bowl with the Patriots. You can find him on Twitter at jwigs85. Jermaine, I want to ask you a question about Matthew Stafford, also a Georgia Bulldog like yourself. How much pressure is on Matthew Stafford On Monday night, they brought him to L.A. to take him to the next level, to take him to the Super Bowl and win a Super Bowl. They faltered in the final game against San Francisco up 17 to nothing in order to lock up the two seed. He's thrown the most pick sixes in the NFL this year. And if we're really being honest with ourselves, the biggest game he's ever won was beating Hawaii in the Sugar Bowl. How do you think Matt Stafford performs on Monday night?
4: Well, well, you, you know what? He's got a ton of pressure you know, cause everybody looked at him, myself included, like he's a good quarterback. He's just stuck in Detroit. You know, it's like there's, there's certain places of the black hole of the NFL, you know, it was Cleveland for a time, but then they were able to get to the playoffs and it seems like it's just been Detroit. You know, it's like no one wants to go there. They haven't been good. And so he was there for a long time. And, you know, he always put up the numbers, but it felt like he never had that team around him. Now you get him to LA, you got, you know, you know, arguably two of the best defensive players in the league on your team. You add Odell Beckham, you got uh, uh, cup who's, who's probably the best wide, one of the best wide receivers in the game. So you have a lot of talent. You're, you, you're looked at as, okay, here is your opportunity. You now can't make excuses of you don't have talent around you, or you don't have a team around you. I understand that he played with Calvin Johnson and he had, a talented receiver, but now he has a team that is built for success and built for getting to the Super Bowl, and it's going to be about how he performs. So there is a ton of pressure on him because if he can't get it done, now the question is going to be, well, you know what? What is this guy? He He's not that caliber player. He's a guy that can maybe just put up stats, but when it gets to the postseason and it gets to the biggest games of his career, he folds. He becomes the Alex Rodriguez of football. Great in, the regu- great in the regular season, but in the playoffs, not very good.
2: To Jermaine's point, he's either going to be Matthew Stafford or Matthew Statpatter. We'll find out which one it is later on. But, uh, Jermaine, I want to go to your college career because a similar situation that you had, you started your career at Marshall and then transferred to UGA when Jim Donovan, who was the coach at Marshall, took the job with Georgia. We're seeing a similar path with some of the players from Oklahoma transferring to USC. Tell me a little bit about what went into your decision to follow Coach Don, and obviously a great opportunity going to UGA, but to decide to transfer, you had a tremendously successful sophomore season at Marshall, but how important in recruiting and overall well-being at a university is a head coach to a player when you're at that school? Well, the, you know, the coaches, is,
4: is you, you kind of like my son who is at Arizona. He's a fr- He'll be a freshman this year. You know, you you go to the school because of the coach, you know, that's what you look at. You commit to that school because of the coach and the coaching staff and the relationship that you build with that, the, those guys. And, you know, I was fortunate to obviously build a great relationship with, with coach Don and, and playing at Marshall, which is a tremendous school. And then when he goes to Georgia, I mean, it's a no brainer. It's the SEC. It's Georgia football. The, 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 the tradition speaks for itself. So that to me, was easy when he was like, Hey, you, you want to come? I was like, sure. It, it, you know, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. Like it's Georgia football. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. I had great respect for coach Don and the coaching staff. And a lot of those guys went down there with him. And then the fact that you throw into it, it is the university of Georgia makes your decision a little bit easier. Now it's a little different for some of those kids from going from Oklahoma to USC, because, you know, the tradition at Oklahoma is just as big as it is at USC. Um, and then I think it becomes more of the relationship that guys have with Lincoln Riley, you know, the, whether it's the, the quarterback, I believe is what's it been Caleb, Caleb Williams, the quarterback yeah. um, that was at Oklahoma, who ended up taking over for Spencer Rattler. So now it's about those relationships. And I don't know if he chose a school just yet. I know one of the commits that was going to Oklahoma from uh, ended up uh, flipping and going to USC. Now it's just more about your relationship with the coach.
3: What was that, Jermaine? We got about thirty seconds. Who you got playing in the Super Bowl this year?
4: Oh man, uh, I'm gonna have to go. I'm gonna have to go with Green Bay and Kansas City. That'd be my pick. I'd love my Patriots to get there, but it's going to be extremely difficult. I said, I'm going to go with Green Bay Kansas City.
3: Uh, uh, That's what I like. Jermaine, great talking to you today. Thank you for the time.
2: Not a problem. Anytime. Thank you. I like his take in terms of preparation of these teams. It's going to be very interesting. It's going to be a great matchup on on this weekend. All
3: right, when we come back, we're going to take a look at the six wildcard games from a teaser perspective.
2: This is Odds On with Mike Palm and Amal Shaw on
0: VSEN, the Sports Betting Network.
3: Welcome back. This segment of Odds On is brought to you by Zen Nicotine Pouches, a fresh way to enjoy nicotine without all the baggage of cigarettes, dip, or vape. No more smelling like an ashtray, no more spit cups, and no batteries to charge or leaky equipment to deal with. Zen Nicotine Pouches are smoke-free, spit-free, and available in ten varieties, like Spearmint, Wintergreen, or Amal's personal favorite, Citrus. And for your convenience, each variety comes in two strengths so you can easily find the satisfaction level that's perfect for you. Zen America's number one nicotine pouch is available in over 100,000 locations nationwide, meaning it's never been easier to find your Zen. So head on over to zen.com slash find to locate a store near you. That's z-y-n slash find. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Welcome back into Odds On. I'm All Shaw here with Mike Palm. Um... Coming up in 15 minutes, we're going to have Brian McFadden talk a little more wild card weekend from a player perspective and an analyst perspective. Um, But right now, what we normally do on Thursdays is look forward to the weekend from a teaser perspective, which is the way many people attack the NFL. And we have six games to talk about them all. So I'm going to give you some likely teaser scenarios and see if you agree with them or you want to play it straight or just pass on the game. And let's do them in order. Let's start with the first game on Saturday uh, from Cincinnati. We've seen this Raiders team continue to take money. Remember this game opened six or six and a a half at most spots. Down to five and a half yesterday. Now we see it ticking down to five. You take an opportunity here, Amal, with a number at five to tease the Raiders up to 11. I don't think you're teasing the Bengals to plus one.
2: Uh, I would take the Raiders plus 11 just because it's such a big number. Uh, I do think the Bengals win this game with a strong possibility of covering, but you can get to 6-10 to 10 and still cover that, so the teaser is where you got to go here. Playoff games have a different level of intensity, Mike. There's a different level of desperation, so I think teams take somewhat of a different approach in that sense. And I love having Carlson in my back pocket, you know, in terms of maybe needing three points that could be critical in terms of this teaser, so I would take the Raiders plus 11 here.
3: Uh, from my perspective here, I'm not teasing because I'm involved on the total in this game. I really like this game under. What is the total? 44? Four, f- 49. Oh, 40, sorry, wrong game. 49. I like the first half, 24 and a half. Remember, this game, when played at Allegiant here in Las Vegas, with five minutes to go, was 16-13 Cincinnati. Yeah. People get mistake because of the final score because of two Derek Carr turnovers. Right. This was a low-scoring, quick-moving game. There were seven drives in that game of five minutes or more.
2: Well, also if you're the Raiders, do you really want to get into a shootout with the Bengals with your defense and with that offensive capability on the other side? I think Zach Taylor plays this game just as
3: conservatively as he played the game here in Las Vegas, where where he had he had several fourth and twos from his own territory. He punted. He didn't get overly aggressive. Maybe it's different at home, but look, Cincinnati, that long tradition of under Marvin uh, Lewis of making the playoffs and then losing all those home games, everything they got to get the monkey off their back. They need a win here. I think this is a tight, low scoring game. But I don't necessarily want to tease the game because I see scenarios where the Bengals could score and, and put this game away by 13 or 14. You're teasing it up to, a, um, at most, 12, right, with a seven-point
2: tease. Well, I was going to say Bengals on the teaser down, but you immediately said to me, you're not going well, you're to tease gonna go the Bengals the down.
3: Are you going to go... Would you just play them on the money line? It would make more sense. I understand, but you're not giving me these options. Well... I'm, I'm giving you lie. You know you can speak freely. It's, it's this is not closed-ended questions. It's it's not a multiple choice. <laughs> well, you're, you're, during
2: the pre-show prep, I'm not giving them any options. Though. Yeah, I, I
3: get it. The, the you know, very intense prep. <laughs> All right, second game Saturday night, Orchard Park, uh, Patriots Bills round three. First game low scoring, swirling wins in Orchard Park. Second game there weren't a punt, not one punt in the second game. And Foxborough. The whole game? No, they attempted fourth. Between the two teams, 10 fourth down attempts, right? They were very aggressive. Interesting to see how this one plays out. Line sits at Bills 4-4. Four,
2: four. Do you tease
3: the Patriots up through the 10 here?
2: I would, because I think New England's got a chance to win this football game. Even though I like Buffalo to come out, I don't like them covering four. I wouldn't touch this game from a point spread perspective. I think the Patriots defensively and with that running game will present some challenges to Buffalo. It's going to come down to whichever team doesn't make the mistake in this game, in my opinion. Uh, You feel more confident if you're Buffalo than New England in terms of the mistakes simply because you have a more experienced quarterback in Josh Allen. Uh, Huge game for Buffalo, not only in terms of the postseason and getting forward, but I feel like from a psyche standpoint, you've got to beat the Patriots here if you're at home.
3: I'm going to make a statement to you, and you can agree or disagree. In terms of pressure on players this weekend, I would rank these one, two, and three. Matt Stafford has the most, Jimmy Garoppolo second, and Jake Allen third.
2: Josh Allen? Josh Allen, excuse yeah. me, third.
3: In I would terms act- of
2: pressure. I would actually change that. You would? Yeah, I would go Josh Allen one. Ahead of Matt Stafford. Yes, I would. And I know the Rams are all in. But I don't think the majority of people look at Matthew Stafford at an elite level. I think if you look at the quarterbacks in a tier or a grouping perspective, A, B, or C, or Tier 1, 2, and 3, I think he's probably Tier 2 near the top of Tier 1, and you got only a handful of guys in Tier 1. And I think Josh Allen is on the cusp of that, but I think these are the types of games he needs to win because they had a very poor showing in the AFC Championship game last year. They played extremely well against Kansas City and Arrowhead earlier this year. Now you've got everything you want in order. You beat the Patriots in Foxborough a few weeks ago. Good opportunity at home. Tough place to play in Orchard Park. If you're the Buffalo Bills, this is a game you must win.
3: All right, let's move to Sunday in the early game in Tampa Bay between the Eagles and the Bucks. Weather going to be a factor here, not in terms of temperature, but 90% chance of thunderstorms with winds 20 miles an hour, gust up to 35 miles an hour. We've seen this tick down a half point. Buccaneers are favored by eight. Here's a two-way option for you, Amal. Do you tease the Eagles up over 14, or do you tease the Bucs down under the field goal?
2: Uh, I would tease the Bucs down under the field goal. I think the Buccaneers are winning this game. For me, the two-team money line parlay for the weekend would be the Buccaneers and the Cincinnati Bengals. I think those two teams emerge victorious um, I, I get the Philly plus 14 in a playoff game. It's always intriguing, but I also think Philadelphia has the capability of absolutely getting dusted. You pointed it out yesterday. You were concerned about their running game against this Tampa Bay run defense, which has been terrific the whole season. Yeah.
3: Okay, then the feature game of the weekend, it seems like 49ers-Cowboys, the middle game on Sunday from Dallas. This game is at a three. I've heard people with different opinions here on who the professional money's on. Matt Newman said this morning, he's the, all the pros he knows are on the 49ers. I was on... Gil's, uh podcast today with uh, Drew Disnick, uh, the whale capper, who thinks that a lot of professional money is going to come in on the Cowboys here and that this number will go to three and a half. I asked you, them all, do you tease the 49ers up
2: to ten, or do you play them plus three, or do you play them to win the game? One or more? I, I love the no- Niners plus three. I love the yeah. Niners to win this football yeah. game, so the plus nine or even plus ten 10- if we're using a six point teaser here. I, I well, would you, take six.
3: Forget about you got to use six, six and a half, what it is. Well, I know the graph, but you bet it the way that makes the most sense to you. You I'm have gonna, options in life, them all. You're not pigeonholed into these A and B choices. Life is not binary.
2: What would you like to do? Well, <laughs> based on my time slot that I'm given here, I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, the reality of it is. I would take the Niners plus the 10 here, but they had such a nice graphic. That's why I didn't want to get away from it. The graphic was was beautiful. I mean, the the arts department here is top-notch. Absolutely right. Um, You know, to me, I think San Francisco is being underrated and underappreciated. They've won seven out of their last nine games. The two games that they lost came within four yards against the Seahawks of getting a potential game-tying touchdown. Would have needed a two-pointer. And then against, or excuse me, they would have been able to tie it up. They were down seven. And then against the uh, Tennessee Titans, you called it. You said Jimmy Garoppolo will keep both teams in the game. Uh, as long as he's not throwing the ball to Trayvon Diggs, I think they got a great chance in this one. Yeah, uh,
3: Steelers at Chiefs, that's the Sunday night game. Uh, this line now sitting at 12 and a half. Chiefs routed them when they played the Sunday after Christmas in Arrowhead. Another game that's interesting here, do you tease the Steelers up through the 14 and 17, or do you tease the Chiefs down below
2: seven? Or neither? Uh I would tease the Steelers up. I think the Steelers are going to be in this game. I think they're going to play far better than when they were embarrassed the first time around. Revenge and embarrassment are two great motivating factors. We saw it with Jacksonville, they give up 3 million points to the Patriots, <laughs> come back and beat the Colts at home. I think the Steelers team is being underestimated in this game. I'm not trying to suggest they're going to win the football game but I do think they will be far more competitive than people realize. When you said
3: about your money line parlay, you left the Chiefs out, meaning you think there's some chance the Steelers win this game or the price is just too high?
2: The price is too high. It's mm-hmm. not, it's not, yeah. The risk isn't worth no. the reward in this particular spot. Also, I would say this. If you rank those three teams, the Bengals, the, the Patriots, I'm sorry, the the Bucks, the Bucks and the Steelers game, I think the most likely upset would come from the Raiders game. Okay. Number two, I think the Steelers have a better chance of beating KC than I do Philadelphia of beating Tampa.
3: Yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, and then Monday night, the standalone game, Cardinals-Rams, part three, both have won, like the Patriots and Bills, on the other team's home field. We're back to SoFi for this matchup, the 5-4 matchup in the NFC. This number was at four, ticks down now to three and a half, You tease the Cardinals up maybe to ten and a half.
2: Uh, Absolutely. I think they got a great shot in this game. You talked about the pressure on Matthew Stafford. I think this team's got an opportunity to pull out the outright upset. This number I thought should have been three. I'm surprised it's three and a half. I wouldn't be surprised if it comes down from four to three by the time we get to kickoff. This Arizona team has played well all year long. I think too many people are looking at what they've done in the back half of the season and discounting them. And, you know, you brought up a great point with the Rams. If the Rams don't win the Super Bowl or get to the Super Bowl this year with Matthew Stafford, I think their next pick is in the seventh round in 2045. I mean, they have absolutely mortgaged the farm. If I tell you,
3: told you rank the top three defenses in the NFL, how do you rank them? Well,
2: it's a good question. Um, it's an offensive-driven league. So it really is. It's not an easy question to answer. I love the way the Rams are playing with, yeah. uh, obviously, Aaron Donald. But Jalen Ramsey's had a tremendous season and what he's been able to do for this Rams team. Um, I, I don't even know who I'd put second and third right now. Packers are playing well. Tampa's good defensively is good up front. The yeah.
3: secondary has questions. But the key is the front four anyway. To, to me, the Rams are separated from everybody You else. think that much yeah. ahead? And then I think the Steelers are in the conversation as well. Yeah, that's true. When we come back, we're going to have Brian McFadden join the program.
0: This is odds on with Mike Palm and Amal Shaw on VSIN, the Sports Betting
3: Network. Vsin has a great new offer to help make this your best betting year ever. Our all-new big game, big dance special. Provides Vsin Plus all access to everything we do from now through April 5th for only $69. Sign up now and get our daily best bet emails, 24-7 video access the upcoming big game and college hoops betting guides, plus full access to vison.com with our exclusive betting split breakdowns on every game. It's one of the most exciting betting seasons of the year, so don't miss out on one of the best deals of the year. Visit vison.com slash big deal to sign up today. Welcome back into Odds On. Mike Palm here with Amal Shaw, and we welcome back in friend of the program, although we haven't talked to you in a minute, Brian McFadden. NFL quarterback, two-time Super Bowl champion with the Pittsburgh Steelers and proud Florida State Seminole. How are you doing today, Mac? I'm doing great, guys. Thank you for having me. I see you got your uh, your your Minnesota, your Pittsburgh background you got there on Skype. B- oh, it's it's awesome for people who can who can see this that are watching uh, that are watching on vision.com. Brian, I want to start out with the yes, game in, the game in in, in excuse me, in in Kansas City, the rematch, right? That's Sunday after yeah. Christmas, Kansas City really dominated the Steelers in that game. It was it was over at halftime. Tremendous coaching job by your coach, Mike Tomlin, gets this team somehow back into the playoffs. They're a 13-point underdog. What are they going to have to do to win this game or even stay within the number?
1: They got to get off to a fast start. Uh, playoff football is all about fast starts, especially if you're on the road. On my playoff experience, playing home or on the road, it was imperative for us to get off to a fast start. And we saw how slow uh, the Steelers started in the first meeting you just alluded to. So me personally, I think Big Ben, offensively and defensively, they got to get off to a fast start. They got to be more explosive offensively. They got to create, put pressure on Pat Mahomes. Uh, Not really knowing the status of Tyreek Hill, if he plays, will he be 100%? Remember the last time we saw him, uh, he exited the ball game because of that heel injury. Uh, last week, but you know, just it got to put pressure on Pat Mahomes. Uh, T.J. Watt has to show up and show out. Uh, last the first meeting, you didn't have Joe Hayden. Now he's in the in the secondary, so that should improve the secondary play. But I feel like they just got to start fast. They got to start fast. No one is giving the Steelers any any shot. Most people feel like they don't even have a fighting chance. And when you don't have a fighting chance, you pretty much should go into ball games relax. Uh, that was our mentality in 2005 when we got into the playoffs of the 6th seed. Everyone basically counted us out, and we were so relaxed, and that led to a Super Bowl title in Super Bowl 40.
2: B-Mac, I appreciate your comparison on that one because you guys won the ring, but I don't like it because I thought that team was far superior to this team going into Kansas City. I, I think you mm-hmm. were, you guys were much better. This team offensively is a bit challenged. However, with all that being said, Uh, Mike and I were talking about potential upsets over the weekend, and I thought there's a greater chance of the Steelers beating Kansas City than the Eagles beating the Buccaneers. How do you see it? Because I I think when you look at Watt and Hayward and what this team has done over the last five years in terms of getting pressure on the quarterback, nobody's been better in the NFL.
1: Yeah, no question. Now, the the issue for me, and and I love the Steelers, the reason why I would disagree is because the Eagles, have, they have an element to their team offensively that Pittsburgh don't have, which is running the football, right? Oddly enough, the first meeting with Philly and Tampa led to the emergence of a running game. Remember right. that first meeting, they lost by six points. They couldn't run the football at all. Jalen Hurst didn't throw the ball well, maybe threw for 115 yards, if that. But running the football, it wasn't a part of their game plan. And then since that loss... Something happened within their organization that said, we're going to run the football and we're going to utilize many different running backs during that process. And because of that, they ultimately finished the season as the number one ranked rushing team in the National Football League. And when you can run the football in the playoffs, that's a big time plus. Now, Philly, they're playing against a defensive unit that has been stout against opposing teams rushing attack. Will they be as successful as they've been the latter part of the season against Tampa? We have to wait and see. But with Pittsburgh, it's either you may get some of the running game or you won't get anything, and that puts more pressure on Big Ben. And that would probably be the main reason why I would disagree with you when it comes to upset.
3: Hey, Mac, I want to talk about the game that's going to be played in Orchard Park on Saturday night in cold temperatures, not as windy as it was the first time. A real dichotomy between the two matchups. The first matchup on Monday night football in the swirling wind. Very conservative game plan from Belichick. They only threw three passes because of the win and came away victorious. When you fast forward to the matchup in Foxboro, there wasn't a punt in the game. Ten times combined these teams went on fourth down. Belichick was much more yep. aggressive with Mac Jones throwing the football. Given the fact that he's a rookie quarterback, do you think Belichick reverts to a conservative run-oriented game plan? as he did in the first matchup, or do you think this is more wide open like it was in the second matchup?
1: Uh, I think not like the first matchup because weather played a part in the lack of passing attempts for Mac Jones, but the Achilles heel for Buffalo's defense has been stopping the ground game. Right, Teams have had success against them running the football, and New England had success the first meeting. When you're playing on the road with a rookie quarterback, you want to initially establish the running game so that can take some pressure away from him. And I, and I think that has to be in the run. They've shown that the entire year. So why are you throwing on them when they have issues stopping the run? And then get this, guys, when you're running the football, the play action is available. That's a huge part of the Patriots' offensive mindset, play action. Play action is not a big, it's not a big threat if you're not running the football. So I, I think we will see a little bit of both, and the adjustments will be huge. In this ball game, one thing I can say, you know, doing my research with the New England Patriots, when they've played against teams with winning records on the road, they don't score a lot of points. Their last three opponents on the road against a winning rec, a winning team with a winning record, uh, they've averaged around 17, 18 points. So those teams with winning records, when they travel to play those teams, have pretty good defenses, and I wouldn't be surprised to see a more slowed down ball game. Running the football, getting into manageable third-down situations, and then allowing your rookie quarterback to really surface and do some positive things when he's called to throw the football.
2: I think you make some excellent points there, BMAC. I want to switch out, West to the uh, Rams and the uh, Arizona Cardinals matchup on Sunday. Cardinals getting three-and-a-half here. Mike thinks that the most pressure in the postseason is on Matthew Stafford based on what they've given up, Mm -hmm. and basically their next pick is in 2045. Um, to me, I think this is a good opportunity for this team because of this defense. Do you believe that they can not only get through Arizona, but how far do you believe the Rams can go? Well, number
1: one, I agree with Mike. Yes, Matthew Stafford has the most pressure out of any quarterback in the playoffs, in my opinion. Uh, do I believe they can take care of their business against Arizona? Yes, I do. Us Last time I checked, I don't know if we will see DeAndre Hopkins, but get this, guys, since DeAndre Hopkins hasn't been in the lineup, the passing game, Kyler Murray, all of the production has been stagnant. They have not looked like the same team they did early in the year, and a lot of that has to do with the absence of DeAndre Hopkins. They having issues protecting him, not running the football well. I mean, just in totality, the offense has struggled a little bit. Last time I checked, I don't think DeAndre Hopkins will play. I don't know. A lot can happen between now and game day, but I'm not sure. And then also, too, the one key betting nugget for me, when you look at these two meet, uh, two teams, uh, the favorite is 8-2-1 ATS in their last 11 meetings, meaning the last 11 times these two teams have faced off, the favorite has covered eight times. And then transitioning just to Arizona, playing against the Rams, Arizona in their last 10 meetings versus the Rams. They're 1-8-1 ATS in their last 10 meetings against Sean McVay. They don't cover when they play the Rams. Now, they covered in the first meeting in La La Land. Remember, they just took care of business, fast start. They had DeAndre Hopkins. But looking at the trend With those betting nuggets there, me personally, I'd like the Rams to take care of business. Now, the second part of your question, how far do I see the Rams going? I see them going far. If they play up to their potential, to the personnel that they have on both sides of the football, no question they can go far. But it it starts and stops with Matthew
3: Stafford. BMAC, let's take the 14 playoff teams and exclude the Pittsburgh Steelers because you've been there and done that. If you could mm-hmm. if you were still playing, which one of these defenses would you want to play on?
1: Hmm. If I was still playing, which defense would I want to play on? The Patriots, Belichick. Uh you see what JC Jackson has been doing? <laughs> oh my goodness. He just stays <laughs> around the football, right? I think about that. JC Jackson, when they lost Stefan Gilmore, you're like, oh, it might be a drop off. No. No, those guys are opportunistic. They're always in positions. They're so well coached.
3: Yeah, Belichick, put me with the Patriots. Uh, real quick, we got about 30 seconds here. The most heavily bet game of the weekend is probably going to be Cowboys 49ers. Cowboys are laying three. Who you got?
1: Say, give me the Cowboys. Give me the Cowboys uh, 49ers in the last six meetings uh, versus the Cowboys. They're 1-4-1. and one. And in Dallas, the 49ers, in the last five meetings in Dallas, they're one three and one ATS. So I think the home crowd is going to be huge for for Dallas. Uh, and I like the I like the Cowboys B-Mac, to cover
2: the three. B-Mac, since you got that question wrong, let's see if you can get this one right. Which was the best Steelers guest <laughs> we've had on this year, you, Max Stark, or Charlie Batch? Me. <laughs> Good answer. That's easy. <laughs> All right, we'll have, B- you, we'll have you on
3: again with, uh, later in the playoffs, B-Mac. Thanks for the time. Uh, Thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. All right, when we come back, I'm all in in the Palm Reader Playbook.
0: If you dare.
2: This is Odds On with Mike Palm and Amal Shaw on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. If you're looking for more sports betting discussion around your local teams, BetRivers has you covered. BetRivers has launched a series of CityCasts designed to tackle sports betting from the local perspective. There are CityCasts in Chicago, Denver, Detroit, L.A., New York, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, and now Washington, D.C. Subscribe to your local CityCast wherever you get your podcasts.
3: Welcome back into Odds On. Mike Palm here with Amal Shah. Um, Recapping yesterday, I went one and one. Villanova tried to give the game away, couldn't make free throws late after getting off to a 15-point first-half lead, but uh, eventually won that game. I guess they disallowed that three at the end, one by four.
2: Okay, I was going to ask you, I didn't see because I saw yeah. Patrick Everson's tweet. Uh, I guess uh, Xavier hit a three-pointer at the it, buzzer? Or they
3: originally counted it, and they went back and looked. It was after the buzzer, so they adjusted the score. from. But it happened within a minute and a half, two oh, minutes. Okay, minutes. 64-63. Villanova's a dog, anyhow. It might have affected some in-game totals or, right. or, or, or sides. But uh, Villanova got off to a big lead and then tons of goals early in that and I, in i that crack. I picked the wrong one. I should have picked that Toronto-Arizona first period on Toronto. Um, coming off the, the the game in Vegas, peppered Arizona with a lot of shots. Arizona had a lot of guys out on COVID. Pulled a big upset. More than a $3 dog last night.
2: I think Arizona plays well defensively. Mm-hmm. They get overlooked because their offense uh, is really stagnant at times. You need Kessel to get going there. 1-2 and two for me yesterday. The Duke game had no shot of getting over the total. And then... The Fordham game, I'll tell you what, uh, Duquesne's got the basketball. They're going to the free throw line, one and one up one, got an opportunity to just sink the free throw and get up two and you, you're going to win the game. The line actually hit two and a half in certain spots, so could have made both free throws, could have won the game. Instead, they missed the front end. Uh, Fordham gets the ball, goes down the other way and scores and wins the game. Yeah,
3: you had Virginia; they covered yeah. the one or one and a half, yeah. went in by two. One and a half. Glad thing you talked me off the over in that
2: game. Didn't even come close. Didn't have a chance. I mean, they would have needed the overtime, and they took a three-point shot, so that one's going to get there. We'll start out with a game tonight at Pauley Pavilion. This one is going, I think it's at 6.30 Pacific time, 9.30 on the East Coast. Mike, I like the Ducks here getting 10. I think the Bruins win this game. I have no doubt about that in my mind, but I think 10's a big number. We saw 10 and a half earlier this morning, now down to 10. I think Oregon's good enough to be competitive. Dana Altman's team generally rounds into form as we get into conference play. Interesting game, good measuring stick opportunity for both teams here as we see SC, Arizona, two other teams. I think this is two of the top four teams in the league with Oregon being the bottom of those four.
3: I think there's a big line, though, of distinction between the top three and Oregon. Completely agree with you. Absolutely right. You know, I'm going to take up my singular play, and it's a one-unit play. It's a Pac-12 game also. Another early start, 2 p.m. Pacific on ESPNU. I think this is too many points here, Stanford at Washington State. I'm not impressed with Washington State. They won that game that, that Arizona State didn't score in in Tempe early in the year, but they lost at home to Boise State. They couldn't really get an offense generated. Listen, I I watched the whole game. I didn't have any action on it the other day. The early game against USC... At Maples, I thought Stanford was very impressive in that game against a good USC team, handing them their first loss.
2: Yeah, and I think defensively, that's probably the best team you're going to play in league Mm -hmm. play, maybe outside of UCLA, but the length of uh, USC causes some problems. Mike, I didn't end up playing this, and I'm going to be on this game. I I have to take Stanford. If you get beat, you get beat. But I felt like it was just too many points. I thought this number was going to come in around five, maybe five and a half.
3: I put it at four and a half or five. Now it's up to eight in some spots.
2: Yeah, and I was surprised by that. And I said, let me just check and make sure in the injury standpoint – For Stanford here, I I just thought it was a few too many points. Now, I want to see how this team does on the road. We'll see what they're capable of. But you mentioned it with Washington State. I don't like the way Kyle Smith coaches this team. They've got some talent there, but I don't think they make full utilization of it. I think they've got to do a better job overall. I think Stanford can stay stay within this number here.
3: All right, let's take a look at some of the other matchups tonight on the hard court. Uh, Big matchup in the Big Ten, actually, here with Wisconsin home in the Cole Center tonight. This game is at 4 p.m. Pacific time, 6 o'clock local time on ESPN2. Ohio State, your school, coming to town. Ohio State comes in ranked 16th in the country. Wisconsin comes in ranked 13th. Much better than expected preseason. Remember, our buddy Frank Schwab said this was a borderline tournament team. They might compete for a Big Ten title or be at least in the top four in the Big Ten. Looks like they're definitely going to make the tournament. Home court built into this number, obviously a mall here. Wisconsin lane 3.5 with a total of 142.
2: Yeah, I tell you what, this Wisconsin team playing extremely well. 4-1, as you alluded to in league play, but Ohio State also at 4-1. I think this is a matchup, Mike, of the two best players currently in the Big Ten. EJ Liddell for Ohio State and, of course, Johnny Davis for Wisconsin. I think these two have to be the early favorites for Big Ten Player of the Year. I didn't touch this game. I'm leaning with the Badgers at the Kohl Center. I don't like this number at 3.5. I think this number is exactly where it should be. Um, if you say you like the Buckeyes in three and a half, no qualms with that. If you like Wisconsin, I don't have a problem with it either. So I'm going to stay away from this one. I'm hoping to catch maybe Ohio State plus five and a half, six and a half in game um, or something like to that effect.
3: All right, let's, let's hop over to the, uh, the Big 12. And uh, Oklahoma State is in Lubbock tonight taking on Texas Tech. Uh, this game goes at four o'clock Pacific time, also six o'clock local time. Oklahoma State comes in only 8 and 6 on the year All Texas Tech, what a stretch this has been for them, right? They they went up to Ames uh, without their two leading scores and actually covered on that late three against in a very low scoring game, 51-47 getting five. Then they came home Saturday and played just a great game against Kansas from from mid first half on re- really took took a lead there and then held it the whole half. Kansas I don't think got within no closer than five in the second half in that game. Uh, and then they go to Baylor and take down previously unbeaten defending national champions, Baylor. And now right back at it here on a Thursday hosting Oklahoma state, this line, them all, uh, eight,
2: Taking some cowboy money here down to seven now with a total of 130. Yeah. When you look at this, uh, uh Texas tech team playing without Terrence Shannon, this team continues to play well, really impressed with what they're uh, able to do. Um, by the way, uh, Terrence Shannon is going to play. I just see two minutes ago, it says Texas Tech clears Shannon to return after review. So I, I would expect this uh, one to move. Um, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me. I got the wrong wrong timing on that one. It's not cleared yet. Sorry. Okay. Um, but the way they played, you mentioned it. I think they have arguably the two best back-to-back wins of the college basketball season, Kansas, and then on the road at Baylor. And so for me, when I look at this team um, – I think they're going to win this game, but I think Oklahoma State plays far better than they did in uh, Morgantown. I can't
3: play the game because I'm not interested in Texas Tech as a favorite in, in some spots, right? I think they're a great team, catching five, catching six, catching ten, because they're going to be in every game with the way they play defense.
2: I would agree with you, but I think this is a good recipe for them in this matchup, even despite a big number, because Oklahoma State does not shoot the ball particularly well against the team that's really going to defend you. And I think they've got all the momentum in the world. If you are Texas Tech, after these two wins, you cannot go out and lay an egg against an opponent like this. This is a win you got to get. Are you concerned at all for either side from a fatigue standpoint based on the number mm-hmm. of games
3: in such a short duration? How deep do you think Texas Tech is? This is four games in eight days.
2: Yeah, that's that's the one concern I have. I think this team is decent. The depth is okay. It's not great. You're looking about an eight-man rotation. I, I'm not necessarily overwhelmed with what Texas Tech can do in that sense. You bring up a
3: point because a lot of leagues with these games delayed with COVID are going to have to make up games, right? And they're going to get these... Every other, every third day, every third day, playing. So look at depth in some of these matchups. Let's go to the Big East. A um, mall, uh, Seton Hall currently ranked twentieth in the country is going to be in Chicago tonight. Taking or it's not actually tonight. Four p.m. in Chicago, two o'clock Pacific. Another early start on FS1. Love it when they give us these triple headers. Uh, Seton Hall going into DePaul. They're going to lay this number up from the overnight of five and a half to six and a half, uh, with a total up from 145 and a half, four points to one forty-nine and a half.
2: Uh, I like the Hall to win the game. I, DePaul's lost five in a row, Mike. I was much higher on this team than the way they played. They had that loss at Butler was a tough one. And then since that point in time, they have really struggled. Seton Hall has quietly flown under the radar in the Big East. I think we've talked about in the Big East, Villanova, obviously, and rightfully so, and then Connecticut. But I think Seton Hall's a team you got to pay attention to. Uh, I think Willard's team goes on the road tonight and gets the W. Not going to lay this number on the road. Not my style of play where I would lay. I would take DePaul before I lay the points here. But I just can't back a Demons team right now that's lost five in a row. I'm not sure if they get things turned around at all. I, I like Seton Hall to win the game.
3: Um, I agree with you, but I'm going to pass on making a play here. Um, Big West matchup tonight, uh, or West Coast Conference matchup tonight, always a good one. Great rivalry in that conference. BYU uh, going into Gonzaga. BYU 14-3 and three on the year. Gonzaga currently ranked number two. Looking to move up to number one now that Baylor uh, got beat by Texas Tech. Big number here, though. 13-and-a-half of them all with a total of 153.
2: Yeah, this is a a big number. I would be looking at taking the Cougars in 15 here. They always play uh, Gonzaga tough. Big number here. I think Gonzaga is not as good as they were last year. They're still getting a lot of respect for what they've done in the past. But I I would look at taking the Cougars in 15 here. Um, They're going to really have to shoot the ball well. Uh, Borsella can shoot the ball well. They've got a chance in this one to stay within the number.
3: USC suffers their first loss of the year at Maples Pavilion the other day. Now they get to come home to L.A. to take on Oregon State. It's a huge number here, Amal. Are you willing to lay 15-and-a-half uh, with you at 14 now, down a point-and-a-half from the overnight of 15-and-a-half against Oregon State? No,
2: I took it last night on the overnight. That's why I didn't give it, because okay. the line was 15-and-a-half. I thought it was a few too many points. I know mm. uh, USC is dominant defensively, but, Mike, I think Oregon State, even though they're not a great shooting team, it'll be kind of a sloppy type of game. I don't see the Trojans winning this game by 16-plus, so I don't want to give a number that's a point-and-a-half move there. So uh, I like Oregon State here getting the points. Are you following the Africa
3: Cup of Nations soccer tournament? I am not. Well, it, it's pretty amazing. Um, outside of the games with the host Cameroon, yeah, um, the unders are eleven and zero with nine goals scored. Uh, there's a game currently under the way that I have uh, under two. I think it's one nothing at halftime. Yesterday in a game between Mali and uh, and Tunisia, the referee blew his whistle with 80... But did did you see he blew his whistle again with eighty nine forty? No added time. There were two penalties and a red card VAR review and seven substitutions. No added time. Referee was suspended for eight months in 2018 for suspicious activity. Stay tuned to Visa up next, Betting Across America.